2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Today's guest is Matthew Norgren. Matt is founder and CEO of Arcadian Fund and Arcadian Capital Management. We're going to hear a little bit about that as well as his background uh, as a business person, as a philanthropist, as an athletic both participant and manager. So we're going to hear a little bit about that background. Matt, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. Glad to be here, Bruce. Appreciate you having me.
2: So let's start with just a little bit of your personal background. So tell us a little bit about, you know, from a professional point of view, what have you been doing in your professional career? And then how kind of cannabis came into that? I always like to hear the stories of how people got interested or exposed to the cannabis business.
3: Yeah, good question. Ran a real estate fund that in 2008 and nine, everybody had to rethink the world a little <laughs> bit, right? And it was a large fund and we had hundreds and hundreds of pieces of real estate yeah. that were either just land or an early development phase. And because it was a hard money fund, we got into a position with people that were borrowers where they had to either pay us and then figure out how to pay everyone else next to keep their land. Or if they didn't think the land was worthwhile, they just gave us the keys and walked away. And that happened with a lot of pieces of dirt. And you can imagine the ones that gave us the keys (laughs) didn't really think there was much upside on the land. Well. We didn't either. And then all of a sudden in 2010, 11, 12, each year that went by, we started to get more and more calls for cannabis businesses. And the reason is because Mm -hmm. these pieces of land or dirt that were otherwise undesirable, all of a sudden they had an option to try to have cannabis businesses for tax purposes, right? Yeah. Undesirable pieces of land were probably in cities and state uh, parts of municipalities that needed money. So they wanted cannabis businesses. So for four or five years, really learned the industry, did my 10,000 hours and become an expert (laughs) and all that stuff, right? Through through getting rid of legacy real estate assets. About 2015, 16, started to look for deals more specifically. I have been operating out of a family office environment, Mm -hmm. really as a private equity strategy investor while running funds there as well. And so really looked for a private equity-like deal, a bigger deal, a growth equity deal, a leverage buyout type deal. Mm -hmm. That's when we found high times. Looked at the high times acquisition with a friend in 2015. It was about 125 million valuation at the time. We ended up passing for several reasons, but a year later in 16, it came back to me through another close friend at a 70 million valuation, at which Mm -hmm. point we, we jumped on it. Yeah. And so that's really how we got in. I spent five years doing real estate, learning it, spent a year looking for a deal, executed um, the high times transaction with a friend. And then after that, it was sort of off to the races. Yeah. Launched Arcadian Fund. That's where we launched Arcadian
2: Got it. It's interesting that you kind of came at it from the real estate point of view. So these were pieces of land that all of a sudden became strategically valuable for cultivation purposes.
3: Cultivation, right. Mostly some manufacturing and some retail. But really, you're looking at the desert hot springs, for example, or, you know, places in Cathedral City. You know, there wasn't a ton of development to do. And you got places like that who saw this opportunity. We got calls from cities, from city officials. Yeah. Say, hey, you've got this land, it's got water and power and zoned and this and that. And would you mind doing cannabis? Yeah. <laughs> business? We didn't even know what that meant. Um, well, can,
2: can but, talk, talk to me. Like, So what was your kind of take on cannabis at that point? Where were you coming from? kind of personally, like in terms of understanding cannabis, culturally, business-wise, otherwise, where where were you when that started to happen?
3: Well, I've always been around it. Uh, Being a football player, there was um, athletes that I played with that were using it their whole careers. And coming out of high school, it's not something that I was around a lot, to be honest. But as soon as I got to college, I realized that a lot of athletes used it for lots of reasons, anxiety, sleep, pain. And this was in early 2000s, 2001, 2001 thousand. So I started to try to see if it would benefit my life and it did in some ways. Yeah. And so I've been around it my whole life and understood that it does help people. Yeah. And, um, and so it was nothing new for me to see the business side, but the numbers certainly yeah. made it make a little more sense. <laughs>
2: yes. It's a little surprising <laughs> when you start printing yeah. the numbers
3: yeah. and in terms of putting together those
2: deals, I mean, what, what was the key for you in terms of making those transactions work from a real estate point of view?
3: Well, it was just real estate. It was a real estate deal. Someone had a higher and better use for it. Yep. That's really what it came down to. I wasn't interested in developing it or being involved in the business. It was just a real estate transaction that now had value. Where we found a lot of synergy was mm-hmm. the operating businesses, yep. like high times. That's where we really got excited because that's where we have our, our skill set. We've we've been one of the bigger private equity family office groups in um, the West Coast for many, yeah. many, many years. Yep. So when I looked at after the high times transactions, now we had not only the expertise from doing five years of real estate, we had the industry's most well-known asset yeah. based on 43 years of existence. Yeah, That's when we really started to think about the industry in terms of what could our skill set bring to the table. And being at one of the larger groups in Southern California, mm-hmm. being at the right age, 30, I was 35 years old and right. had done... 15 years of financing companies. And happened to be also in L.A., which is the epicenter of the yeah. industry for the world. Yeah. in just about every sense of the world, except for public markets, of course, now Canada. Canada has that going. But, yeah. you know, figured we were in the right place, right time, had the right amount of resources and uh, felt like I was the right guy. So formulated a strategy around being able to invest more in operating businesses. Okay. And that was going to be after sitting with the family office and all my investors who are larger investors, you know, we'd never had a specialty in early stage investing. So really knew right away, we didn't uh, want to be involved in, you know, the seed and angel yeah. investings. too many things that, that are needed for those companies. And mm-hmm. there are great investors that do that. We just weren't one of them. We also decided that because Of the large assets we were involved with that are both highly regulated and highly publicized assets, we couldn't touch the plant, didn't want to do anything that was federally illegal, which on our estimation is basically described as a business that requires a state license to operate that today there are no federal licenses to do that business. So anything that didn't need a federal or state license to operate, we could invest in.
0: Um, Oh, interesting. Okay.
3: Yeah. So we decided to look at businesses that were best in breed, that were growth equity. That was really our strategy. We were, we had always been good at finding companies that had gotten to a point that were ready for scale. And so yeah. we didn't really need to solve any problems. It was more about resources to get them to the next level. So you're not doing early stage, the seed, even A-round. I mean, I guess, where do you actually get involved?
2: Like, what's your task for this is something that we'd actually start to consider versus this is something that's too early for us?
3: Yeah, the A-round's about as early as we go. Sometimes a, some type of convertible to an A-round okay. we would get involved with if we really, really liked the business. We've done that a few times. And the reason... The reason is because for cannabis, I feel like the rounds are around or too early as compared to normal venture private equity oh, investing. Okay. Because you can have a company that's got 75 percent of the market share that is two years, you know, month over month positive revenue growth and is generating significant cash yeah. that's raising an A round. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't happen in Silicon Valley, you know. <laughs> so it's basically
2: the, the whole cannabis market skews sort of early or late, depending on how you look at it, where whereas you may if you're generally investing in B rounds, you might go to an A round in the cannabis market because they're just more advanced companies than than typically what you'd see.
3: That's right. And they're just for several reasons, obviously, the risk factor and because the industry is emerging and there's yeah. a lot of reasons, but that's typically About accurate around. Yeah, if you're if you're a B round investor, you'd look for a rounds in
2: cannabis. And beyond the kind of financials, what are you looking for in the business? So the need a state license, you know, kind of stuff aside, you know, staying away from the actual plant product. What else are you looking for in terms of the investments? What are your kind of heuristics for deciding where to put your money and and where not to?
3: Yeah, good question, Bruce. We we really do look for experienced operators. And typically, because our companies are ancillary, they don't necessarily need someone who's had a lot of years in cannabis. In our minds, it's a consumer product. It's a medical product. It's an over-the-counter product. It's it's a lot of products that consumers can utilize. But I would think that someone who's had 30 years at big data company that sees cannabis as an amazing opportunity and then can go run a business just like he's run before in data has a better opportunity than someone who's been in cannabis for 30 years who feels like data is an opportunity For cannabis, right? So we typically try to find guys and gals that have succeeded in that capacity. I think every CEO that has been in that position or a similar position at a company just like it that's not in the cannabis sector.
2: So it's not their first rodeo in, in most cases. And what do you see in terms of just kind of the business sophistication in terms of the market? Are you seeing that business folks experience senior business folks from other sectors are open and willing to get involved in cannabis-based businesses, you know, across the board. Do you see hesitation? Is this changing over time? And what's going on in terms of the professional executive management of businesses? In the cannabis space? Where are these people coming from?
3: Yeah, it's certainly changing as expected, right? I mean, John Boehner is a good example of joining the Acreage Board. You know, we just had Vicente Fox join our board at High Times yeah. last week. And so what you're starting to see is similar to the end of prohibition for alcohol, right? The Kennedys yeah. are joining the team. I mean, it's, <laughs> it just makes sense. Yeah. So, It was expected, but even last year, what you saw was you might have a guy who's at, or a girl, sorry, Mm -hmm. we're (laughs) big on female (laughs) empowerment in this industry. But um, you have people that were potentially, maybe at Salesforce, for example, and they'd been there for six years, and Salesforce isn't that old of a company. And they're sitting there, you know, five levels down from Mark Andreessen or something, Mm -hmm. at Andreessen Orts or... Uh, if they're at Idris and Horowitz, for example, we had a couple people that left that firm. We had a couple people that left um, uh, sale. Who was the head of sales force? I forget his name. But if, uh, you're, if you're blank
2: on it up here, but yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. But so you have anyways, you have executives at major companies and then a few levels down. And those guys are and gals are making really good money and have great stock options and this and that. But then you have somebody who's been there five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years. Yeah. And they look at the people above them and they say, I may never get there. Right. Yeah. I just might not get there. But I know exactly what those people do. And I know exactly what I do for this business. I mean, I know the ins and outs. And so what you started to see was last year and the year before that, really, you started to see those types of people who were like one step removed from really, really being in the big bucks, say, I'm going to leave and go build this exact company to a T, and then I'm just going to sell it back to these guys. Yeah. And funny enough, what we found that our companies end up talking quite a bit to their former associates at those big companies and they know that they can't address the problem that cannabis businesses need cannabis businesses need payroll they need software they need data they need compliance they need they know the big companies know they can't address them and so they end up actually supporting their old colleague who left because they would rather buy a company from a friend yeah and know that the company actually fits and is going to work for them, right? Yeah. They don't want to buy a company and the next day realize it has all these kinks and is, is going to cost a lot of money and time to figure out how to make it fit. Yeah. They'd rather give information to their old colleagues to make sure it works and then pay a premium for it for that. So it's actually turning out to be a heck of a move by some of these executives who did leave early on to go build these businesses. Yeah.
2: And then I think it's interesting one. I mean, I I work with a lot of folks who are building out leadership teams in this space. And it's that strategy of finding finding the executive that you need that's in the non-cannabis space who is willing to come over is a great way to find good senior talent. And, And oftentimes... You're finding people who, as you said, have those connections that can kind of actually grow the business and the way you need to grow it. It's fascinating what you're bringing up, which is the idea that sort of the federal legality situation that we're in ends up creating this business model or kind of you know company growth model, which is you essentially support a business in the cannabis space that you can't touch for all sorts of legal reasons but waiting for the business to kind of grow or waiting for regulations to work itself out so you've got a good acquisition target once it happens.
3: That's exactly right. And by the way, it was Mark Benioff at Salesforce. But but yeah, no, I mean, look, those guys, let's just use Salesforce as an example. And those guys are thinking that same thing, right? They do not have the risk appetite being as big as Oracle or Salesforce is to address cannabis right now. I mean, of course they would like to, but again, you know, these huge companies, they have a big need for either their shareholders, their stockholders, their board whoever it is, to address growth. They yeah. have to grow. Yeah. And when you're so big and you've already spent a lot of time, you know, attacking all the markets that were available to you and your market share leader and all of them, you know, you try your best to gain a point here or there. But the biggest thing you can do is when there is a new market to to uh, own and you have the ability to own it, you're going to and you have to or your shareholders and stakeholders are going to be very upset with you if you didn't take that opportunity. So when legislation passes for various verticals to make that move into this space, they will and they will pay a premium. And our hedge is this. We find the best in breed companies because today you still get a discount for that risk, mm-hmm. even for the market share leaders to some degree. And what we believe is if you're able to be a good fund manager and help manage these companies and resource them and do consolidations and roll up strategies and you know mergers and acquisitions along the way, when that time happens for that vertical to, to sell or have an exit or big companies to come in and make their acquisitions, we think they pay a premium. Because you can't – Salesforce can't let Oracle yeah. go buy this whole industry. It's yeah. too big. Yeah. So they'll have a bidding war and they'll make sure they go buy the biggest companies in it. And so you invest at a discount and you trade them for a premium. It's a pretty yeah. – illegal. legal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a pretty uh, – it's a pretty interesting. Time. So now are you are you looking at do you um,
2: place investments in a couple of companies that are in the same kind of micro sector here and, and, and kind of diversify? Or are you picking winners in each area and then really putting all your weight behind each one?
3: Like in every emerging industry and in every mature industry, there there usually is two to three major winners in, yeah. in each category, sometimes more. I mean, the old consumer product adage, right? You you never want to have more than five options on the shelf because yeah. too many consumers don't do anything, too few they don't do anything. There's always that happy medium, and I think that's going to be the case here. I think that there'll be three to five companies that, are, that do well in each vertical, mm-hmm. probably more like three. Right now, we've sort of taken the approach to pick a horse. Yeah, okay. And what's happened is all of the funds that invest like we do, and there's about 10, we actually are really, really close friends. And we talk about this stuff all day, rising tides, lift all ships. And we want to make sure that we, that we all work together for the benefit of the industry. We don't want, you know, crazy numbers on valuations causing down rounds and flat rounds. We really do want these companies to grow smartly. Yeah. And be ready for NASDAQ and Hong Kong and London exchanges, not the crazy stuff happening in yeah, Canada yeah, and yeah, other exactly, markets, yeah. you know I mean? And so we look at this and some of the funds are in one company. Some of us are in another company mm-hmm. and then maybe a couple are in another. But ultimately, not more than two or three. And then we kind of engineer consolidations as new companies yeah. come into the fold or companies that didn't get investments from us start to figure out they aren't one, two or three and merge them together. I would like to, throughout the rest of the year and into next year, start investing in Compete like similar companies in each vertical. Yeah. We have to. It's a delicate situation <laughs> with the companies we're in now. You yeah. know, if we're going to do that, but I think they're going to be okay with it because everybody knows consolidation is going to happen. Yeah, and having a friendly in that position is a helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, we're sort of doing it amongst the funds. We all know who's in what companies. We. Talk about the pros and cons of each, you know, sensitive to our NDAs yeah, and our agreements with those companies. But enough to know what's happening. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we would like to start making moves to be in more companies in each vertical. Right now, we sort of picked a horse in each.
2: Okay. And what are the um, uh, particular kind of subsectors here that you're focused on or you see are particularly interesting for you?
3: Again, anything that doesn't require a state license, we can, no. we'd can. we like to be in. And that's a lot of vertical yeah, data, gonna... software, <laughs> yeah. data, multiple kinds of software. Different kinds of data, compliance businesses, payroll, science, bioscience, technology, nanotechnology. You know, I mean, the, the the list goes on. Media events, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a limitless amount of opportunity right now.
2: Yeah, yeah I was talking to uh, a, a staffing company yesterday that's getting into the space just because it's you know, the growth is happening at such a rate that actually finding people, finding people that know how to work in these different sectors of the cannabis market is becoming a real issue. So they're they're solving it with staffing solutions. How do I find these people? How do I deploy them in different yeah. ways to to meet the demand? So. Yeah, Yeah, it's one of the exciting things about the sector is that, you know, it is a growing sector has lots of different needs. And if you can find those kind of products and services that that they need to actually grow, that can be often be better than the actual handling the plant product itself.
3: I think long term, it's massively bigger and better. You know, what we have here, Bruce, is a really interesting opportunity to not only create generational wealth for people that do it right, but Two other things that are really important. A, I think it's a great thing for humanity, you yeah. know, obviously the, the things we all talk about, opioids and alcohol and tobacco, or yeah. this is a better solution for all of those things and countless other medical benefits. But the other thing that that we probably don't spend enough time on is what this industry has the opportunity to do, uh, which many other industries are now trying to reverse engineer. We have a chance to do it from ground up, mm-hmm. which is sustainability. Yeah. Right, which is environmental impact, which is female empowerment. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean every industry is trying to figure that out now. Well, we're being born now and we get a chance to start it right from the beginning. Bake it out. This is a mother plant that gets cloned. It's a nurturing plant. It's mother nature, like that needs to be a big issue for us. And I think we're doing a good job of it. But those types of initiatives and, you know, African-Americans in jail and Mm -hmm. people in jail and persecution and stigma and all this stuff. I mean, we just, we really have the opportunity to build this industry the right way, which is another really fun piece that, um, that we get to uh, engineer.
2: Yeah, it is. It is exciting. I mean, as a, as, just as a sector, you know, thinking beyond the business kind of opportunities, it has huge social cultural impact as people, Perception and relationship with the plant changes. It's going to have a lot of changes to who we are and how we how we interact and, and how we think about these things. So, where do you see some of these things going as we look out the next 12, 24 months? What are the big things you're watching? What are the things you're anticipating? What are the what are the things you're questioning or that you're uh, not sure are going to happen?
3: Well, um, I would be concerned. Twelve to twenty four months if I was retail cultivation manufacturing, because yeah. you know these businesses started out trading in public markets at seventy five to a hundred times revenue, which if you're an ag business, a brick and mortar retail business, or a manufacturing business, there's no market on planet Earth in any sector that trades anywhere near that, right? Yeah, I think what you're seeing is a little bit of a, I mean, it's like everything that gets exciting when it hits the public markets dot yeah. com and internet and all mm-hmm. this stuff, right? I mean, they're trading now at 40 times earnings or yeah. 40 times revenue and and so they're down considerably from the from the multiple that they were trading to start the year yet the companies are getting bigger because of the volume yeah. and acquisitions so they look like they're growing but actually their multiple per yeah. per revenue is becoming more realistic and i think ultimately those businesses get down to 5 to 10 times max yeah so there's a lot of fallout to happen. Now, the bigger companies are going to diversify their investments and, you know, be on the forefront of brands because yep. they'll have shelf space and this and that. But, you know, they'll, they'll diversify and the bigger companies will do really well. But it's going to unfortunately have a lot of casualties along the way. I think 75 percent of the people that are in those categories are going to be severely blown out. And so I think we have to watch for that over the yeah. next 12, 24 months. The good news is all that means is that for the consumer, the prices of cannabis become more realistic. It's like anything. Yeah. Computers, cars, like t- cell phones. I mean, they all start out unrealistic and nobody can afford them. And then yeah. as prices fall, the bottom falls out and becomes more realistic. The companies that we've invested in, I think, grow. Right. Because that means more product for more people. It means more transactions, more data, more volume, more this, more that. And so I think that, I think that you got to look for the ancillary stuff to grow. And then ultimately the, the longer term stuff, the brands distribution, delivery, the IP coming out of laboratories that are going to really be the basis of all the new products, I think. So I think 12 24 months you got to look at the industry like this and I think a lot of people don't. You have to think about the plant is not the plant. I'm a whole plant advocate personally. Yep. I I'm a whole plant guy but it's very clear to see the trends in every maturing market. People do not come into cannabis for flower flowers always been available to everybody just yeah. because it's cheaper and, and legal down the street doesn't mean you're going to convince anybody new to be a flower user mm-hmm. so this plant you have to look at it almost as if you can deconstruct the plant okay. right there's about 120 to 140 final cannabinoids in yeah. cannabis or hemp plant People say forty are really only active, but <laughs> yeah. you know there's a bunch to play with here. So yeah. if you can isolate them all individually and look at them as 100, and, let's just use 40, 140 buckets of isolated molecules. Yeah. What does that molecule do in different doses and different delivery methods? In combination or conjunction with other molecules, other terpenes, yeah. you know B12, Acai, who knows, right? Fish yeah. oil, but anything else. And you have to do that with. You can play with all of these things when you isolate them or combine them with other cannabinoids. So there's a limitless amount of combinations to play with. And when you think about it like that, now you have potential products that you can infuse these isolated molecules into that pretty much is anything in the grocery store. So what people don't understand is that every person on planet Earth is likely to be a consumer of cannabinoids, much like they are mushrooms right now. Mushrooms and about everything in the grocery store, when you break it down to its molecular level, people don't know it. But, you know, it's a basic element of planet Earth, just like this plant potentially is as it's deconstructed. So I think long term, not even long term, 12, 24 months, you're going to see a lot of new products driven by isolated molecules with patented formulas and delivery methods. And that's that's where I think we're all hoping this industry goes, because that's when you have put it this way, about 12 to 17 percent of any major market is currently some form of Flower user or okay. has access to flour or participates with cannabis flour. Yeah. So if you if you broke that down to a room of 100 people, you could take 12, 15 people and say, okay, you guys are kind of already
2: yeah.
3: consumers in some way or going to be. Let's get you out of the room. Let's focus on the other 85 people yeah. in there. If you walked in and said, hey, cannabis is legal. Here's some flour. They're going to say, <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't like the flower. Yeah. I don't like lighting up things. I don't like smoking things. I tried it before. It doesn't work for me. Everyone's chemical makeup and is different, and people's yeah. habits and, and desires are different. So now we have to target those other 85 people and say, how can we benefit your life? Well, there's probably – maybe there's one child in there with epilepsy and all of a sudden we have uh, FDA-approved epidiolex from GW Pharma. Now we have a product for that one person. Okay, now we're down to 84 people. How do we turn 84 into consumers now? I don't know. I had a. We see a lot of products. I saw yeah. one come in the other day that was a tampon with CBD formula on it. So when the when a woman uses mm-hmm. it, it's supposed to relieve menstrual pain and yeah. gross and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe we could sell ten other people in there that ten yeah. women. Hey, did you buy this product, great. Now we've got seventy five more people to sell. You know, what I mean, this is. I like that happens, idea. Right? It's
2: really it's kind of this incoming heyday of product innovation and product development around given given this kind of palette of different molecules, different things we have to work with. Finding new, creative, innovative, effective uses for them in different uh That's where uh, for it's going, consumers. right? Yeah. I
3: mean, look, CBV, right? Appetite suppressive Molecule by itself. Yeah. If now I can sell 10 more people in there, maybe a CBV-infused product because yeah. it's, they're maybe overweight and have a desire to lose weight or suppress their appetites. That's what the whole industry is about. It ain't about servicing the 15 people in there who you already have as a consumer, in fact, of those 15 people that are already a consumer in there, they're probably more likely to go away from the plant as these other products become available and use them more. Case yeah. in point, Willie Nelson doesn't even smoke flour anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. He smokes oil, right? I mean, so my point is it's very hard. I, people can argue all day and night the entourage effect from the whole plant, and I don't disagree with it. But I think you're going to have a hard time – convincing america that they should be sliding up the plant versus (laughs) just taking the molecules they need for some specific desired fact
2: no i think that's good i think that's a good insight
3: and so what uh what do you think you're going to be
2: focused on in the next you know kind of coming months like where is your time and energy being being spent
3: Um, Our time and energy is going to be spent continuing to speak at events around the world, want to share a similar story that we're talking about today in more depth, what this plant can do, what this industry can do. And then using that platform to talk about our companies that are solving those problems. We we want to continue to manage our companies and put them in the forefront as leaders in their verticals. So for me, you know, I work for my LPs and my <laughs> job is to is to uh, make sure that the bets we've placed are good ones. But the fun part of that is that I get to do it and feel good about the work. Um, so more of the same, Bruce, just continuing to preach and, and try to uh, continue to grow our businesses. The best we can that's great
2: right and if people want to find out more about you and about uh Arcadia and all the the work you're doing what's the best way to uh to get that
3: we got a great team, Bruce. I think the best way to do it is just email us, info at arcadianfund.com, A-R-C-A-D-I-A-N fund.com. I don't have any social media. Uh, you know, I think this plan <laughs> is going to do one. Yeah, I'm old school. So, you know, I, I think this plan is going to hopefully help society and yeah. humanity reconnect with itself. I think we're a very disconnected, distracted society today, which social right. media is a big part of. Yeah. I know some people need it for business, and I think we even may have some for the business. But, yeah. you know, anyways, I think uh, I think the best way is just hit us on an email and awesome. um, and we'll be available.
2: Good. And I'll make sure that p- that information in the show notes for, for folks. So uh, they can get a hold of that. Matt, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to uh, hearing how things go and the work that you're doing over the coming months. Thank you, Bruce.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud,